Hello, everyone. I'm Sam. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mo. And this is Teen Get Over Yet. We're an all-female team participating in the greatest motoring adventure on the planet, the Mongol Rally. We'll be driving 10,000 miles across mountains, deserts, and unknown terrain. And along the way, we hope to spread our feminist and environmental ideals. Join us here as we share our stories, thoughts, and interviews as we get ready for the Mongol Rally 2021. Uh, don't you mean 2022? Shit! Hi! Welcome back! Today we are going to take a dive into history and talk about one of the great motor races of the past. It's no secret that the main purpose for Get Over It is to raise funds and awareness for our attempt at the Mongol Rally 2022 maybe question mark (laughs) question mark yeah but uh today the mongol rally which begins in prague or somewhere in europe in general wherever you start from and ends in the asian part of russia previously mongolia is the most ambitious motoring race on the planet cars have certainly changed a lot in the past 120 or so years but humans have not and way back in 1908 some amazing fellows had hatched up a plan to race from new york in america to paris in france (laughs) of course most of you can see the issue right away the huge body of water that separates the two cities called the atlantic ocean it -hmm. wouldn't be very interesting if the competitors simply put their cars on boats and then drove a few hundred miles through france to reach paris so what did they decide to do they decided to go the other way yep The route they drew would take them across the United States into Canada to Alaska over a much smaller body of water, the Bering Strait, across Siberia through Europe, and finally to Paris. By the way, the Bering Strait no longer freezes over, so you can't drive over that sucker either. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. Global warming. Hey. Climate change. <laughs> So what made the journey even more insane is that in 1908, most of the roadways we know and use today hadn't even been thought of yet. Cars Mm -hmm. were still rare. There were only about 2.24 cars per 1,000 people in the U.S. compared to about 833 cars per 1,000 people today. And the infrastructure to support vehicles simply wasn't needed yet. So why the race? Right? Why Why uh, put yourself through the misery of driving over bumpy, maybe kind of sort of road roads <laughs> for hours on end? Because we can. Because we can. Alleged- <laughs> well, allegedly, it all began in 1907 with the Peking or um, Beijing Paris race put on by the French embassy in Peking, China, and sponsored by the French newspaper uh, Le Matin. Oh, very Matin? good. Le Matin. Le matin. It means the morning. Le matin. <laughs> uh, an article written by the newspaper advertising the event read, What needs to be proved today is that as long as man has a car, he can do anything and go anywhere. Is there anyone who will undertake the travel this summer from Peking to Paris by automobile? The race was won by Italian prince Ciprone Borghese, who received some champagne for his travels. Some of the other racers barely finished with their lives still intact. The contestants had to travel up ravines, navigate through quicksand, and cross bridges that were not designed for vehicles. All in all, it was a very dangerous thing to attempt. Naturally, the following year, La Matin devised an even crazier race to collaborate with the New York Times, New York to Paris. Wow. We never learn. So, <laughs> La Matin. <No. laughs> 
Nah. We just up the stakes. <laughs> up the ante. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> Le Matin called the race Le Tour du Pol, which means the tour around the pole, and announced a $1,000 prize to the winner, which would be about $30,000 in today's money. Not Another $1,000. Yeah, not bad. Another $1,000 would be awarded to whomever could carry the American flag throughout the entire race. <laughs> America. Nice. Right? America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the race attracted international attention, <laughs> and uh, oh, there were teams from France, Italy, and Germany, in addition to those from the United States. Um, some of the participants didn't even know how to drive at the beginning of the race, and had to learn on the fly, or rather, on the drive, as it were. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Wasn't bad enough that it's death-defying, scary areas they have to go up and down like ravines and shit, but no, no. You don't know how to drive? It's fine. You'll work it out. It's fine. Don't worry. Seven, 17 men in six cars in total participated in the race, including journalists to document the journey and mechanics to fix the cars, which would inevitably break down. The participants were a smorgasbord of personalities, including, but not limited to. You, you're giving me names that I can't pronounce. <laughs> okay. But not limited to, Caitlin. Je <laughs> Bolsier de Saint-Chaffray. <laughs> who had once organized a boat race <laughs> in which every boat sank. Oh, great. And, uh, yeah. Hans, Hans Hendrik Henson, who claimed that his team would get to Paris or our bodies will be found inside the car. Mm. And Antonio, Antonio Scarfoglio? Scar Scarfoglio. Scarfoglio. Yep, I, I yeah. butchered that one. <laughs> and Antonio Scarfoglio. <laughs> <laughs> who threatened to take a motorboat solo across the Atlantic if his father didn't allow him to participate in the New York to Paris race. As you can surmise, such a mixture of personalities would eventually lead to a very interesting race. Yes. So there were, so just, just so everybody knows, so there were six teams, um, three from France, one from Germany, and one from Italy. So I'm just going to say the names of the, the teams and then plus who the members were. Um, also, the team names depend on like what car they were driving. So oh. basically, yeah, so basically these like different car manufacturers like put up their own teams and they were sponsored by like various rich people. So first one, Team Protos. So they were driving a Protos vehicle, whatever that is, doesn't exist anymore. But uh, <laughs> they're from Germany and their members were Hans Keppen who was, I think, some kind of, like, military command, like, he was, like, lieutenant something. Hmm. Er Ernst Moss and Hans Nape. Next, we have uh, César Nodin from France, which had August Pons, Maurice Bell, 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 Maurice Bell, <laughs> and Lucien Deschamps. And then there was Team De Dion, which went from France, with J. Bolsier de Saint-Chaffray, Alphonse Autrin, and Hans Hendrik Hansen, who, Hans Hendrik Hansen was actually from Norway, um, mm. But he was hired as a kind of navigator, like he was supposed to navigate through like Siberia and all the wintry bullshit that they had to go through. I was going to um, say, Hans, Hans does not sound like a French name to me. I was like, that, no. that sounds like Swedish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's from, yeah, Norwegian, that guy. Mm -hmm, that uh, area. And then there was the Thomas Flyer. USA, USA. Uh, <laughs> and the members were George, yeah, my boy George, George Schuster, Monty Roberts, and Harold Brinker. Then there was Team Zust from Italy, and that was Giulio Sirtori, uh, Henri Haga, and then Antonio Scarfoglio. And then finally we had Team Motoblock, which was also from France, 
and the members was Charles Godard, Arthur Hugh, that doesn't sound French at all, and Maurice Livier. Hey, man. It may not sound very French, but you did them all justice, whereas I would have just destroyed Thank each you. and every single one of those names. So, Thank a you. round of applause for Caitlin, everybody. A round of applause Yay. for Caitlin. Yay! <laughs> yeah. Exactly. On February 12th, 1908, some t- uh, 250,000 people were jammed into the Times Square area of New York City to witness the beginning of the race. More lined the street up Broadway and into Harlem to try and catch a glimpse of the cars and their drivers. The mayor at the time, George B. Uh, McKellen Jr., was supposed to fire the starting pistol, but he was late as usual. <laughs> uh, eventually, some dude walked over to the table, grabbed the gun, and fired it <laughs> instead. <laughs> a superstitious person might say that that was an omen warning of events to come. <laughs> mm. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yes, so the first to quit was August Pons of César Nodin after a differential broke a mere 96 miles into the race. At first, the teams got along with each other more or less and formed little groups to help each other through the deep snow as they traveled through the Midwest. Remember, this is happening in 1908 and mechanical snow plows weren't widely used until the 1920s. The teams got through the snow at an agonizingly slow pace by placing boards on the ground in front of the car. After the car had passed over the board, someone, usually the mechanic, would grab the board and move it in front of the car again. So place, drive, repeat. (laughs) Um, You you can imagine that was like number one, very, very hard work, like backbreaking work. And then like number two, like super slow. I mean, I don't know why they didn't just go down to the south where there's like very little to no snow during the winter time. I mean, but. you would like. I mean, yeah, you could almost probably take the same amount of time if they just yeah went down and around. But mm-hmm. no, that, that's yeah. too easy. Can't do that. To each their own, I guess. Mm. <laughs> just gonna plow straight across is fine. Uh, <laughs> the, Amer- <laughs> the American public were not too were not too welcoming or helpful to the foreign teams either. While traveling through the countryside, the Mont Moto block and proto mm-hmm. teams were taken for a ride by locals whenever they needed supplies, labor, or horses to pull the cars out of the buck. That's mm-hmm. what you get call. That's what you get for calling uh, folks boorish and peasants, I guess. <laughs> Me- <laughs> Meanwhile, people people were volunteering left and right and center to help out the Thomas the Thomas Flyer. Yeah, Here you a go. lot of these guys. <laughs> Well, you, as you can imagine, like this race is taking like a very long time, so the people who are participating in it are like rich guys, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like, "Oh, the peasants! I hate them! I hate the American peasants!" I don't know why it went a little Russian there at the end, but <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, but yeah, so no, I know, I can, like I can totally them. see that. Like, yeah, and also Americans are like, at that point where we're like, "Hmm, British are bad, French also bad. Hmm, they always snub mm. their noses at us." <laughs> so we're going to thumb our noses back at them and be like, screw you guys. <laughs> so on March 8, a bit of drama occurred when Hans Hendrik Hansen, who had been previously working for the Didion team, switched sides and started riding with the Americans. Ooh. Apparently, Hansen and Saint-Chaffray started arguing after Hansen couldn't get the car out from a snowdrift. They became so heated that they almost dueled. But Saint-Chaffray decided to fire him instead. Probably a bad move, since Hansen was an expert on traveling in the Arctic, an asset to have on any team. So the Americans took advantage of the situation and welcomed him with open arms. So uh, nice. You know you know that this has happened a long time ago when they almost dueled. 
Yeah, they Nobody have those duels anymore. <laughs> I love it. Uh, <laughs> the Americans were leading by a lot, and Monty uh, Roberts decided that it was a good time to leave his team. He was going to Paris to drive in the Grand Prix there, and it was planned for uh, Brinker to take over. Brinker and Roberts were no doubt the stars of the team both being professional drivers and Brinker having just survived a very deadly and public crash. But the true gem of the team was Schuster. He poured his heart and soul into the car and sacrificed sleep and comfort to keep the car running smoothly. He once walked 10 miles in the night while others were sleeping to get gas. He was definitely incredibly important and underappreciated. So around that time, uh, or around the time the Thomas Flyer left Wyoming, the other cars were quite a ways behind them and the Motoblock was in serious trouble. Godard, desperate, chose to ship the car via rail to San Francisco in violation of the rules. He was caught by a photographer covering the race and was ordered by the car's owners to quit the race and return to France. Au revoir, Motoblock. Adieu. <laughs> that Don't let the door goodbye. hit your ass on the way out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, once in San Francisco, the Thomas Flyer was loaded onto a boat and shipped to Seattle and then to Alaska. Allegedly, Brinker mm-hmm. wanted to continue on with the team, his leg of the driving having concluded. But uh, Schuster refused probably because he was sick of carrying Brinker's dead weight. The, t- <laughs> the team was met with much fanfare and cheering. No one had expected any of the cars to make it across America in winter, but the Americans had made it. Yay! Yay! But unfortunately, the Americans eventually lost their lead after they arrived in Alaska and found it to be impossible to cross by car. The race committee decided that the team should sail to Vladivostok, Russia, from Seattle instead. While they were busy figuring out visas and traveling back from Alaska, the other teams had arrived on the West Coast and were on their way to Russia. To make things fair, the organizers awarded an allowance of 15 days to the Americans, which means that if they arrived in Paris less than 15 days after the other teams, they would still be declared the winner. Hmm. As a bonus, Protos was penalized an additional 15 days for loading their car onto a train. Hmm. So they, <laughs> they did it too. Yeah, cheaters. <laughs> That's all right. So, But yeah, no, Alaska... <laughs> Driving a car across Alaska is not is not even feasible nowadays in the winter time. Like mm. once the snow sets in, it's all snowmobiles and dog sleds, or you walk. Well, that's what it was. So like Schuster got up there and he did some investigating, and he that's what he concluded was that you'd have to disassemble the cars and load up the parts on separate dog sleds, and that was the only way mm-hmm. they were going to get across Alaska. So they were just like, "Skip it, we're taking boats." <laughs> Exactly. Best way. Best way to do it. She's like, nope. Fuck this. We're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so every team faced a rude awakening upon setting foot in on Russian soil. Siberia had no roads and even less gas. Sad Chaffray. Oh yeah, nope. good. Oh okay. Yeah, uh, summoned everyone to his room and tried to bribe the teams with gas in return for a spot on their rosters. <laughs> Schuster yeah. told him that. He- Told him he'd think about it, but then told his team he would not accept. Uh, Saint-Chaffre. Gave all of his gas to the Italian team, but did not continue the race as he was ordered home by his sponsor, the Marquise Jules Albert de Dion. Uh, hmm. Yeah, de Dion was de gone. <laughs> <laughs> so the three remaining teams. No, it's good. It's good. The three remaining teams, Protos, Zust, and the Thomas Flyer, inched through Siberia. The snow made it difficult to travel, and it was almost impossible to secure supplies. 
Many teams drove their cars on the railroad tracks and were nearly taken out by trains or by not-so-friendly Russian locals. Schuster received a telegram when he had reached Perm, Russia, asking if he wanted Monty to come back and help with the driving once he arrived in Europe. Schuster was pissed. He hadn't driven through the worst of the race just to hand the reins over to Monty, so he refused. Unfortunately, Schuster kept getting lost in Russia and lost his lead to Protos. The Italians were so far behind that they weren't even worth thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> and Schuster was on the Italian team? or No, he's on the American team, yeah? He's the American team, yeah. He's the, he's the mechanic-turned-driver-turned-the-best-person-in-this-whole-race. Right. At 6.15 p.m. on July 26th, five and a half months after the start of the race, and 21,933 miles from Times Square, the Protoss arrived in Paris. At the moment, Schuster was having breakfast in Berlin, comforted by the knowledge that he had actually won the race thanks to the 15-day allowance he had received and the 15-day penalty Protoss got for hopping the train in America. Schuster finally made it to Paris four days later on July 30th, but it wouldn't be an interesting ending without a twist. While driving peaceably down the street, a, uh, what is that? Gendarme. Gendarme? Gendarme. Gendarme? Yeah. Okay. So while driving peaceably down down the street, a gendarme stopped the car and declared, you're under arrest. (laughs) The headlights on the car were out and the Thomas Flyer was committing a grave sin by driving on the streets illegally like that. Observers tried to explain that the car was participating in an important race, but the officer was having none of it. Finally, the solution came in the form of a boy who placed his bike, which had a headlight, <laughs> in, in the front passenger seat next to Schuster. Apparently, that's good enough, and the Jardim allowed the car to continue. Okay. Yay! <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's so dumb. I love it. <laughs> you can't drive your car here. You have no headlights. How dare you? So scandalous. Hey, sir, do you want to borrow my bike? Oh, it my is God. okay. How is that okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. And then the Italians eventually rocked up sometime in September. It was like wow. they finally made it to Paris on September 8th. So, yeah, it was like a few months later. Uh, whatever. So the Americans, yeah, the Americans and the Thomas Flyer officially won the race by a lead of 26 days. The biggest lead in racing history. Schuster humbly returned to his factory job where he was promised employment for as long as the factory was operational. <laughs> and then it it shut down five years later. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Ain't that how it goes though? Oh man, it certainly is. Well, uh that's the end of our story for today. Hopefully you feel inspired to do a little road trip of your own. Hopefully, hopefully one that actually has roads in it though. Although I mean Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to imagine. find an area that does not have roads now. Yeah, these days. Yeah, there's usually something mm-hmm. that you can use, or at least like you know, at least like a little ooh, forest ooh. path. You know what you could do? Mm. Go to Alaska and travel from <laughs> Anchorage to Barrow straight up the center. Don't don't deviate and go around to like uh, Fairbanks or any of those other ones. No, no, no. You go from Anchorage straight straight up through the center to Barrow, which is at the top. Barrow, Alaska. It, oh yeah. It, is that? Do people do that? No. Oh. So there you go. You'd have you'd have you the whole the experience first. of having no roads. Ta-da! Yay! 
Unless you follow oh the pipeline, and then that that technically be cheating, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. 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 yeah that would be <laughs> cheating. That's too easy. It's too easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard. So when I was researching the story too, I heard that like another person on another team, because uh, one of one of the guys was actually in the Peking to Paris race, mm-hmm. um, and he kept like he kept stealing gas. <laughs> Like, yeah, he would just, he would be like, oh, I'll pay you later. And then he just like never paid anybody for the gas. So he actually, whenever they arrived, I think he was on the Italian team or something. Mm -hmm. But when they arrived in Paris, he got arrested. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah. Pay back the bitch, bitch. You didn't pay for your gas. Now you're going to (laughs) pay. You're going to, you're going to pay in jail. (laughs) Indentured servitude. But yeah, I think, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun story. Yeah, it's and more, it took, it's it more took fun something. than my story. Oh, no, my road trip story that we that we did earlier on this year, where I was like, "Yep, I did a thing," uh, and then I did another thing. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, my road my road trip story was well, my road trip story was from quite a few years ago now, but it was moderately eventful. Actually, we had some events. I think it's it, road trips are more fun and more eventful when you have more than one person in the vehicle. When it's just you and your car. Oh, yeah. Eh, it's fine. That's true. Like, you can't have those lovely moments like uh, you did when you passed through Illinois. Illinois is more like ill quiet. Gives me every time. (laughs) I know, every time. Every time. time, I cannot. Like, every every time, yeah, every time I go through or I hear the word Illinois, I always think more like ill quiet. (laughs) Because there's nothing there. Right. Ever ever since you told me that joke, that's literally every time, every (laughs) I, I literally hear that every time I'm like, oh, yeah, I live in Illinois. More like Illo quiet. <laughs> I can't do the accent, but it's still good. I know. Uh, we were losing our minds. If you liked this content, please like, comment, or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Also, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and at Get Over It. We also have a Patreon where we post extra behind-the-scenes comments and answer AMAs. All proceeds collected will be donated to the Center of Reproductive Rights and Cool Earth. Link in the description. Uh, thanks for listening, and don't forget to tune in in next month. See you then. Toodaloo. That's it for today, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. And as always, please support this work by subscribing and donating to our cause at www.teamgetoveryit.com. Donors get access to specific content like stickers, t-shirts, and postcards from our journey. You can donate for as little as $5 and the benefits build from there. Go to our website for more info or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Team Get Over It. Thanks for listening and catch us next time on Get Over It. Doesn't being an adult suck? <laughs> yeah, it does suck. Being adult sucks, but I just had chocolate for breakfast, so it's not all bad. <laughs> oh boy! You, you have to say it. You have to say it in an Italian accent. You have to go Sipione borghese. Sipione borghese. Perfect. You got this. Is a French one. You got to say it in a, in a, in a French accent. Gibossier de Saint Chaffray. Uh, what is that? Jardin. Yeah. America. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>